Hello, and welcome to the Philosophical Angle Podcast with your host, author Chris Angle. Hi, this is the Philosophical Angle Program. Thanks for joining us. I'm the author of four books on philosophy, one of which is the Philosophical Equations of Economics, and you can see these books available at https slash slash thephilosophicalangle.com. If you'd like to contact us and make uh, comments or inquiries and suggestions or whatever, you can contact us by email at contact at thephilosophicalangle.com. The purpose of the Philosophical Angle program is to examine the nature of concepts being used in current media. And secondarily, use those definitions to understand the righteousness and ethical superiority of the conservative position. Okay, so this week we're going to uh, take something that's pretty uh, interesting, a little bit out of the out of the norm. Uh, and uh, d- but um, do you do you guys recall the expression by Lord Acton? That absolute power corrupts absolutely. Actually, the the whole text is here. Power tends to corrupt, and absolute power corrupts absolutely. Great men are almost always bad men, even when they exercise influence and not authority. Still more, when you super-add the tendency of the certainty of corruption by authority. So it, it, it came up in a discussion the other day by someone who occasionally mem- mentions this aphorism and, and I wondered why is it that absolute power must necessarily corrupt absolutely? For the longest time, even, even when I was thinking about this expression, I, I didn't really know what it meant. Is it that when one achieves absolute power, it, it makes you think of yourself all the time uh, and only by yourself? That one becomes completely self-absorbed? Or perhaps does it mean that when a person becomes self-absorbed, he can no longer think of other people? Well, let's see if the philosophical angle will decipher the meaning of this expression and and how it comes to be that the absolute power corrupts absolutely. Okay. To start, to be sure, this refers to any situation where one person acquires a considerable amount of power. The, si- the situations where this could occur are large companies where the, the president or the, or, or the CEO might control a, a huge amount of money and, and the resources of the, co- of the company. It also may refer and, and, and really does probably refer to the, to the source of even a greater power, the government. Leaders of, uh, of government sometimes get to control the resources of a nation. And, and, and of course, within a nation, all the individuals that are, that are there. 
the power ranges from the, the leaders of the democracies, which have some restraint, although probably not too much, to a totalitarian regime where the leaders have power concentrated in, in one particular man or, or a group of men. Examples of this would be totalitarian regimes, which include Mao Zedong, um, who was in China, Pol Pot in Cambodia, Hitler, of the, of, as we all know, the famous Hitler of Germany, Nazi Germany, Stalin of the Soviet Union, even presently, there are quite a few totalitarian regimes currently in place in the world. Africa has many. China qualifies as it may be an oligarchy where the concentration of powers within, is within a few at the top. Not just in, in, in one person. Another oligarchy is, is Putin's Russia where the concentration of power is is at the very top. Uh, it's not quite a perfect totalitarian regime, but it's close. So let's call it a, an autocratic oligarchy. So most countries uh, which are governed by Islam are also totalitarian and, and because they're theocratic totalitarian regimes. There are no real true democracies uh, in Islam because the top clergy have ultimate decision-making power on, on decisions that are made within that country. On the other end of the spectrum, we have democracies in the Western world and some in the Asian world. And in these democracies, the concentration of power is not as great as in the non-democratic countries, which are not of a republican form of government. So, looking at the spectrum of power concentration within, within government, we can say that absolute government power corrupts absolutely, perhaps. And, and where does this happen? First, in order to understand the situation, let's delineate the process of, of everyday life decision-making. And we do this because all life entities make decisions. First, in order to understand uh, in, in the daily life of any life entity, there is a one controlling priority as soon as a life entity comes to be. It, it is the first dictum of life and of all economics. And that is, all of life strives for that which is good for it. And secondly, into the consciousness of a life entity, there are two types of stimuli. Exterior originating, exterior originating uh, stimuli that is from the outside the body of the life entity and interior originating experiences that 
come from within the body. The stimuli comes into a life entity and is information. And to it, the entity, the entity's consciousness takes a priority. And a priority is a, is a degree of importance that the information holds relative to the life entity. An example of this is hunger. The interior originating stimuli of hunger pings the consciousness and we attach a, a priority to it because it's important to us to solve this developing problem of hunger as, it, as, it, as the pinging gets stronger. We prioritize it highly and as such we go down to the grocery store and we buy some food. Once we prioritize a piece of information, it becomes a piece of knowledge. And knowledge is the accumulation of what is important to us. So now we're going to move to the decision-making process. In every decision, we know that we have to make a, a sacrifice in order to achieve a reward. And this reward is a priority. So we decide to achieve that priority, which is our, our reward for a sacrifice. And an example of this is alleviating that hunger problem we, we just spoke of. We can actually make an equation. Our sacrifices equal our rewards. On the sacrifice side, we set up the risk involved in the sacrifice, the time involved in the sacrifice, the effort involved, and the knowledge required to effectuate it. And we make this sacrifice to achieve a reward, as this fulfills the first dictum of life and economics, that we all seek that which is good for it good for any of the life entities and good for us. In every decision that we make, we formulate in our consciousness through the use of our information, our knowledge, the amount of time, the effort, the risk involved, and whatever material it will require, if any, to obtain a reward. Now we have to add uh, the ingredient, motivation. And motivation is achieved by comparing the sacrifice to the reward. If a sacrifice is small relative to the reward, that is, the reward is large relative to the sacrifice, the likelihood that the life entity will move forward to effectuate the sacrifice becomes probable. And motivation is achieved. If the motivation is there, we go ahead and effectuate the sacrifice. And we do that to achieve the reward, and that is we put the wheels in motion for our, for our obtaining more goodness, which fulfills life's dictum number one. 
lastly, in our decision-making process, there's a complication. This complication comes about because there are others in society with whom we become involved. And in society, if there are others that we have that have the same priority, there arises the situation of competition. So let's define competition so we know what it is. Competition is the convergence and divergence of priorities. Now, what is meant by this is that our priorities are the same as others. That is, they converge upon each other. There is competition for the same resources. This is exemplified by supply and demand. As there are more buyers for a certain item, the price is going to go up. We all know the rules of supply and demand. Supply and demand is the result of converging priorities. When you have converging priorities, the life entity automatically knows that this is inimical to one's health and in economics, this causes prices to go up. And who likes and who likes rising prices? Therefore, in response to this, life entities try to diverge away from the direct competition. They try to get away from the high prices by diverging away from clashing priorities, that is, by differentiating their priorities. They might, they might try to find substitute items to buy, which is known in economics as the elasticity of demand. In, but uh, in essence, it's really divergent priorities. They try to find substitute items to buy, which is known in economics as elasticity. And as we see here, it's, it's really divergent priorities. And, and thus, companies dif differentiate. And they differentiate by adding new, new products or new designs or uh, new facets to their products, trying to differentiate themselves from others in the marketplace. So both demand and the supply try to divert. That is, they, they differentiate. So now we have, to, we have all the ingredients to our daily decision uh, to our daily decision-making process, how, it, how is it that absolute power corrupts absolutely? For this, let's go back and take a look at ingredient number two, which was the construction in our consciousness of the sacrifice versus the reward equation. Here, let's remember that the ingredients to the sacrifice are the time, the effort, the information that we use in order to decide whether to go ahead to achieve a reward. So at this point, where we construct our priorities in our consciousness, the totalitarian who has absolute power will construct priorities of great moment that will have great influence all throughout his domain. Of course, all government leaders have to make decisions of great importance. But those with, with absolute power, 
make them without restraint. And they can do this because they have absolute power. Thus, they, they can make their decisions without receiving influence from others. They are not receiving input and advice from others. And they are they're unrestrained by other government powers. So let's take an example. Suppose a totalitarian leader is interested in a particular ideology. And let's say, uh, for example, this is uh, Islam or communism. The absolute leader takes an interest in, in one of these ideologies and then starts to make the priority that he will mold the society to be commensurate with such an ideology. When societies change from one ideology to another through the leadership of a totalitarian leader, it can be quite a drastic change. So when the totalitarian leader makes such a change, it, it does not seek the influence or advice of prominent leaders in society with their knowledge. He does not seek a democratic vote of confidence in the new society. It's, it is done without influence. Therefore, the totalitarian leader seeks only the thoughtfulness of himself or his immediate advisors, if any, who would also hold the priorities that are close to his because he, as well as life in general, does not like competition. And if he can avoid converging priorities, which would be the other ideas of how society should be going forward, he will do so in order to avoid having to experience the second half of competition, which is the divergence of priorities. Hence, he becomes selfish, introverted, and often this is accompanied by paranoia. And this is the corruption of oneself. Ergo, absolute power corrupts absolutely. And there are many examples throughout history that illustrate what we've just discussed. Look at the transformation from Tsarist Russia to the Democratic Parliament of Alexander Kerensky to the, to the abrupt uh, a revolution brought forth by Lenin and his gangs of thugs which took over the, the, the democratic parliament in Russia. Look at Hitler. Once he was elected, he took away the constitutional powers and converted them to emergency powers, giving him absolute power. Once achieving absolute power, he sought Hitler, sought not the advice of others, and he became totally self-absorbed and corrupted. Mao became corrupted by the interest in, in the communist way of society and totally devastated the Chinese society, killing many as perhaps 50 million people. Totally corrupt. So we know absolute power corrupts. Absolutely. We have established a reason why it is 
necessarily so. Uh, why it is necessarily so? And and the reason is that because there is no cooperative behavior in a totalitarian's life, and because of that he will descend into selfishness. As the, as the totalitarian leader no longer has any reason to cooperate with others, he will examine his priorities only in, in, in making a decision. If the priorities he, cho- he chooses to live by uh, uh, tend uh, away from the first dictum of life, uh, which is also the first dictum of economics, which is that for the individual life entity to seek goodness for itself, but for the individual to seek collective goodness established by he who has absolute power, then, for the, then the country is in for a problem, a big problem. And because he's totalitarian and doesn't have to accept any other priorities other than his own, the amount of obligation to cooperate with others diminishes almost probably to zero. Therefore, he may look internally only and will do so because it's easier to look to your own priorities than to accept and receive advice relative to the priorities of others. Because it is a natural and easy way to be selfish. The totalitarian necessarily does become selfish and look to his own priorities. And the more you are isolated due to non-cooperative behavior, you will believe in that, your own, that your priorities and thought are superlative. And thus the delusional despot concludes that others should follow his way into total corruption. I hope that was kind of interesting for everybody and thanks for joining us. And we'll see you next time on The Philosophical Angle. Thank you for joining us on The Philosophical Angle podcast. Be sure to subscribe and join us for the next installment.